It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, welcome back to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is Live Mike. You're listening to episode 30, a milestone here on the program for two reasons. Of course, that number 30, that's pretty good. Uh, we've got a few of them uh, filed away in the archives. I'm proud of that. Uh, and more importantly, today we're broadcasting uh, for the first time in the history of this new program, Live Mike. We're broadcasting live from the Utah State Capitol. We're inviting a long list of legislators to join me here in this conference room that the folks here who run the place uh, have lent to us for this broadcast. Uh, and we're going to be speaking about the objectives and the legislation before uh, this legislative body this session. As you know, Utah is a, a part-time legislature. That's different than uh, many other states. Some places, big states like New York and California, very important places, they have full-time legislators where it is the full-time job of folks to uh, sit around and debate the laws uh, as they uh, feel they best should be implemented in their respective states. Here in Utah, it's different. Here in Utah, uh, you send members of your community to represent, represent you up uh, Utah's Capitol Hill. It's a part-time legislature. Everyone uh, we're going to speak to today, they have a day job, uh, and they take the time uh, to, to set aside their regular duties, their day job, and they make their way up here to Capitol Hill uh, to get together with other members of the community and debate and ultimately land on what they feel uh, is best for the state of Utah. Here with me now is Representative Brian King, represents District 28. Uh, he and I got together not too long ago and spoke about uh, this idea of uh, background checks for the transfer of firearms. I uh, just wanted to get a, a, an update on that and then also speak to you uh, from the perspective of your leadership position uh, as to what, what you hope to see uh, from your party and from the legislature at large during this uh, legislative session. So let's start with uh, background checks. Where, where do things stand? Sure. Thanks, first, thanks Lee, for having me on. Um, well, we've been working. Working, you know, the thing about background checks that's interesting is that both in Utah and across the country, it's overwhelmingly popular. When you talk about uh, polling and, and surveys of it, people say, well, sure, reasonable background checks should be implemented. And in fact, we have them. When you go to a federal firearms licensee, a, a store like Cabela's or or Gallantson's or something that sells significant numbers of guns. They're all federal firearm licensees. They, uh, FFLs we call them. They are individuals or entities that have licenses to sell guns. And even when you go to gun shows, you know, you hear a lot about the gun show loophole. When you go to gun shows and individuals or entities that sell more than a certain number of guns in a month or a year are selling their guns there, they have to perform a background check. I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. I'm a, I'm, I'm a Second Amendment enthusiast. Yeah. Uh, I'm a hobbyist in terms of firearms. Firearms. I believe that we ought have them for our own personal protection, and uh, and from that position, I do find that uh, that folks do have the misconception that at gun shows it's uh, no holds barred and anything goes, and it's the wild west. But as you just pointed out, that's yeah. not the case that's for right. the very most part. Every one of the folks who you see at one of the tables with guns spread uh, side to side, they are for the very most part FFL holders, and will submit you if per if you attempt to purchase a gun through their establishment to submit to. To a background check. The gun show, and I hate to use this phrase, uh, but... Uh, gun uh, show this, loophole. Uh, you said it. All right. So the gun show <laughs> loophole. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. 
exercising statute in this fashion uh, is when an individual goes there privately, has a firearm, and somehow makes it known to another patron of the gun show that they would like to uh, enter into a transaction. Right. Here's my firearm. In exchange for it, I'd like some money. Right, right, if right. you come to agreeable terms, uh, you can execute that transaction, say, out in the parking lot, sometimes right there on the floor right. uh, of the gun show. And this is the type of transaction yeah. that you'd like to see the nature of changed. That's right. Uh, what it is is a modest extension, I think a reasonable extension, of the process that's already in place. And quite honestly, covers the the majority of uh, transfers and transactions involving guns. And and you well, know, I'm sorry. You're saying that the majority of firearm transactions are done through private sales? No, I think that the majority of private firearm sales are done with uh, with background checks. Understood. I'm sorry. So, so what we're trying to do is just expand that a little bit. You know, I've been I get a lot of email, I get a lot of texts. Tyrant is a word that is used commonly with regard to the things that I get. And, you know, that's okay. I get that people feel strongly. I'm a gun owner myself. I think the Second Amendment is absolutely critical. The Supreme Court has made it clear we all have an individual right to bear arms. There's no doubt about it. I'm not trying to change that law. What I am trying to do is I think in a reasonable way with some reasonable exceptions placed in the statute in the bill that we're running, expand modestly that that uh, process by which individuals, when they seek to purchase a gun are going through a background check. I think it makes sense. I think people uh, support it. And, and what we've done is there are there's a large group of many different uh, interest groups like Every Town and Moms Against Gun Violence. And I mean, there's a, a state uh, group that is here in Utah that's done tremendous work that, that is also behind it. What we're trying to do is get this out of the Rules Committee, Lee, have it, get it to a hearing in front of the judiciary of the criminal law. Uh, enforcement, uh, uh, law enforcement, criminal justice standing committee, and then let's just see what people say. Have the public come say, have their peace. And look, if people want to come and oppose it, I'm fine with that. For the most part, the people who've contacted me are very civil in saying to me, "Listen, we have some concerns about whether background checks are effective in reducing violence." That's a fair concern. The, sta the statistics on this co can go both ways. People can cherry pick and say, "You know, they don't do any good." My feeling about it, Lee, is if this is all incremental. This is no magic solution to gun violence. Not at all. But if it incrementally reduces the number of gun uh, deaths or, or injuries, I think it's worth doing. We're speaking to Representative Brian King, minority leader here in the House. Uh, we're talking about a piece of legislation he is working on here uh, before the legislature now, which would uh, close, as some phrase, the gun show loophole. It would require background checks uh, for all firearms uh, transactions, with some exceptions. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, is this effort, are you legislating the hypothetical, or are there instances of wrongdoing which have stemmed from transactions of this type? There are instances of wrongdoing and, and gun deaths and injury that have stemmed from this. The, the uh, Sutherland Springs shooting down in Texas a couple of years ago involved an individual who slipped through the cracks, unfortunately, and got guns when he was on a prohibited list. He shouldn't have gotten guns. And and so you know, like I say, I don't know that. Uh, I'm sorry. He he purchased the firearm used in that crime uh, via a private transaction. That's my understanding. In the, in the absence of a background check. That's my understanding. Okay. Really. So so is it going to happen more frequently than not? In terms of uh, these mass killings, that you, if we had a universal background checks in place, that that would stop mass killings? I don't think so. But if you can stop 5 or 10% of these things from happening, we've accomplished something good at very limited cost. Is it inconvenient to get a background check? FFLs do it literally in five minutes. Is it expensive? 
I think the cost per FFL check is like seven fifty, uh, and then seven dollars and fifty cents, and then there's like an administrative fee that the FFL can add on to it, two, three, four, five dollars, something like that. It is some added cost, but it's not onerous in my mind. I think it's worth doing. You still be in the direction of that FFL. I'm paying about twenty, sometimes forty bucks a, really? a pop. Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I, FFLs can add as much sure. as they want, I guess, as much as the market will bear. But uh, I think when I went to Gallonson's and bought my gun two or three years ago, I don't recall that the cost was more than between 10 and $15. But anyway, sure. you know, the point is, yeah, there's some inconvenience and some cost added on. But I think it is reasonable, and I think it makes sense. And I think what we're trying to do is make sure that we put some exceptions in there that make sense. Yeah. When you have a father or a grandfather transferring a gun to a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter, I want them to be able to do that without... And these are the exceptions that, that I think uh, that, that are important. Yeah. I think there are some folks that are on the fence, and it is the understanding of these exceptions that might uh, sway them in your direction if they're not uh, you know, resistant entirely to... Right. Walk through those exempt, those, some of those exemptions. Well, so the intrafam. I think the biggest one is the intrafamily uh, transfers. Yeah. Um, but but you, we talk about the gun show loophole. I want to make sure clear. I think one of the huge loopholes is uh, internet transfers, sales over the internet. Now I know KSL, for example, does not. Uh, have guns on for sale on its on its internet uh, website. They got out of that business uh, a number a of years ago. ago. That gave way to uh, Utah Gun Trader. That's uh, right. Uh, Utah Gun Exchange. That's right. There. So others will come up and fill that void. And look, I don't have a problem with people buying guns on the internet, but I do think that it's reasonable to say that they should go through the background check process. Time has caught up with us. That's it. I'm grateful to you, you for, for chatting with me here. Uh, sometime I had intended to talk to you about some of your objectives, some of the things you wanted to see accomplished by your party during this legislative session, uh, let's be sure to, to connect again and have that conversation Love to. shortly. Love to. All right, sir, thank you so much. Uh, Brian King, Minority Leader here for the House, uh, Democrat representing District 28. Next up, we're going to speak about... Uh, this is fascinating. Uh, there's a, a representative who would like to remove from the high school graduation requirements uh, a civics test. So we're going to take a civics test next. We're going to talk to that representative, and that's all next live here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.